Welcome to Boxes and Lines, a different kind of finance podcast from a different kind of stock exchange. Featuring IEX founder Ronan Ryan and Chief Market Policy Officer John Ramsey. Now here to give you the straight talk on how the markets really work. It's Ronan and JR. Welcome everybody to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines. God bless you all and welcome to Boxes and Lines. Oh, thank God he's back. Irish JR is back. So today we have a special <laughs> guest. We have our very own Paul Baccio who works here. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> what an introduction, that's right. I'm just joking. Paul is already <laughs> starting to regret <laughs> Well, you see how I screwed up see? Ray. Yeah. No. All right. Yeah, now I know why it took 65 episodes for me to uh, make an appearance. <laughs> this is our show. Okay, today our special guest is our very own Paul Baccio, who's held down many different roles at IEX as well as in our industry. And we appreciate you joining us today, Paul. Yeah, you're welcome, Ron. It's good to be here. Including uh, many different roles at the New York Stock Exchange before he before he came yes, to us. That's right. So absolutely. So we thought what we'd do is we'd sort of talk through some of those roles, but we'll we'll kick it off to at the timing that Paul joined us. Paul joined IEX uh, when we were operating as an ATS, or as many in the industry know, as a dark pool, and we had filed to become a registered stock exchange, which we became in 2016. But um. When Paul joined us, Paul's job was to help us, and I, and I believe Paul, and I, I screw up every guest title, but you were running market operations at that time, and your job was to kind of navigate us through uh, market ops from a, an ATS uh, to becoming market ops for a big boy exchange. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that is fair to say. That's right. That was, God, I can't believe it's, we're looking at almost seven years now. Um, and so, yeah, I, I joined uh, IEX, I guess it was 2015, uh, after spending 15 years at the New York Stock Exchange. Um, I took sort of a hiatus, a semi-retirement uh, for about eight months uh, before I joined. And it, you're right, it was to, to help uh, transition uh, IEX from an ATS to, to a national securities exchange. Yeah, well, Paul, I don't know if you know this. The truth is that Paul was hired basically as the designated fall guy in case the transition <laughs> went bad because we right. needed somebody that we could throw under the bus. But fortunately for him, it came off pretty well. I, I have That's no true. doubt. That's right. I have no doubt that you guys read Regulation SCI and uh, <laughs> and said we need a fall guy for this. So. Yeah, we we called you grown up in the interview though to kind of cheat you into accepting the job. So so we, when you came in, right, we we were up and running. You know, same market hours, same same securities trading. What were your main goals uh, in terms of transitioning IEX from ATS to exchange? You know, it's it's really interesting because. A lot of the heavy lifting was done in that, you know, as an ATS, we had subscribers, right, that were broker dealers that were connected to, to the platform. Uh, but there were really limited things that the ATS wasn't doing that an exchange would need to do. Uh, so, you know, part of that transition would be to sort of fill the gaps and, and prepare the industry uh, to make that leap. You know, the, the thing that's really interesting now, I mean, look, there are 16 exchanges, right? Uh, but at the time when we were seeking to become an, uh, a national stock exchange, we were the the only real independent, let's say, exchange, right? There were the three main uh, exchange groups. There are 13 exchanges. New York had uh, their five, uh, NASDAQ their three, and, 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 and CBO their four. So we were 
you know, the 13th and it hadn't been done in, in, in some time. So, um, there were a lot of challenges to, to prepare the industry for, uh, for, for us coming on board. And just so people listening who are not necessarily in the industry, when you're a stock exchange, uh, there's something called fair access, which is a regulation that requires the exchange to allow any registered broker dealer to be a member on the exchange. Prior to that, when we operated as a dark pool, we did operate fair access, but because we weren't an exchange, many brokers decided uh, we were too small and decided not to connect to us. When we uh, became an exchange, we had a lot of additional brokers join, and Paul and his team that's right. were the folks that navigated them, their onboarding. Yeah, that's right. We, uh, you know, it was converting the existing subscribers to become what we call uh, members of of, a, of the stock exchange, as well as onboarding a whole bunch of new member firms. So there were a lot of balls in the air, a lot of a lot of work, uh, and and as you guys know, like we at the time, you know, we we and we still we run very lean, right? We we give people meaningful work to do, and we build phenomenal technology to automate a lot of the bullshit, for lack of a better term, you know, tasks, uh, so that people could focus on servicing uh, the members and 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 managing the markets. On our podcast, yeah, am I allowed to do that? Like, is that for God's sake? I mean, <laughs> people that we know try, me, there are I, children listening, Paul. <laughs> We try to run a dignified operation here. So fucking annoyed. What Um, the fuck? No, but let's let's go back then, way, way back. Yeah, Paul. Paul, not that I'm calling you old, but you have a lot of experience on the the. the, He's a triple black belt, so I don't call him old to his face. (laughs) But um, Paul worked on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, and he worked on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange back when it was you know what you envisioned trading floors to be in the movies right through its transition to an electronic trading platform. Yeah. And, you know, you come over here and we're fully electronic, as Nizi was uh, when you left. But I'm, sure. I'm kind of curious from your perspective back in the day, the veritable mosh pit to what it is today. Yeah. Um, was it harder? That's probably why he got the black belt. He had to defend himself. That's a fair that. point, John. <laughs> you know, you're, you're right. Prescient point, John. It's... Uh, you know, I, I guess I started at New York in 99, right? So there wasn't electronic trading, really automatic execution to, you know, as there is today, the market's fully automated. Uh, you know, really the market was re- trading in decimals, right? Eights and teenies, you know, we, and so having been part of that conversion to decimals, having been part of that, you know, push for electronification, automatic execution, you know, early on, there were 5,000 plus people on the trading floor. It was chaos it was a ton of fun the energy was incredible you know as a market operator you know and i was uh, you know i sometimes talk about this to some of the staff the young staff that just wouldn't have this understanding i would know how well my systems were working and how determinist they were and what kind of experience the members were having just by listening to the energy and feeling the energy and the sounds Mm -hmm. on, on the trading floor Right, because I had 150 member firms doing business under one roof. My customers were, you know, an arm's reach away. So if there was an issue, there was no nobody sending an email. Nobody's calling into a. There was no desk. fancy GUI. There was a level yeah. of cursing and fucks. They're, you know, it was bad. In, or right now, you know why. Now you know why. It was an environment train, that right? was built for you, Ronan. <laughs> I know. I, re- I really was born for the trading mm-hmm. floor. Yeah. <laughs> and and so yeah, I mean it it was. It was it was incredible, and so, you know, managing a fully electronic exchange, we, you know, early on we had to say, how do we create the tool set to give me an inclination of 
again, how deterministic our systems are operating, how well the customer experiences, how we are processing through the tools that we're using, right? And, and so before, you know, uh, a member would call uh, before a member would send an email. And that was, you know, for me, thought one of the hardest things was, was recognizing that, you know, in a lot of ways, your customers don't even pick up the phone you know, so that they might say, hey, we're having, you know, and somebody might say, oh, we're having an issue on our side. We need to cancel these three or four orders, but they'll do it via email. They won't even pick up a phone. So like losing that human interaction, you know, was something I had to get adjusted to, but it allowed us to build some pretty great tools to to uh, to service the fully electronic market. It was, it was really pretty neat. I always I say have it's a question a, before yeah. John starts like capitalizing on all the great questions that he preps, <laughs> but mine's a little ad lib. But um, let's hear. And you don't you don't have to talk to it if you don't want to talk to it. But uh, and I don't often throw a lot of credit the way of the New York Stock Exchange. But um, you you were on the floor uh, September 11th. And I was just curious if you wouldn't mind commenting a little bit on how they handled that both on the day, both uh, because as a lot of people in our industry will probably remember the market was closed, you know, beyond the three max days in total, right? Could you yeah. talk us through that a little bit? Because sure. I thought they handled it like pros. Yeah, I mean, it was, I remember that day like it was yesterday. I mean, I was essentially the early man <laughs> at the main operations center on the trading floor. If those that remember Dick Rosso was the uh, CEO and chairman of the New York Stock Exchange at the time. And you weren't going to find a more uh, fearless leader than, than, than Dick. And so, you know, having watched the, uh, the planes hit the World Trade Center on TV live, like I, I knew there was an issue very early on. And, uh, and so obviously the first call was to, uh, to Duke Ross's office and, you know, the exchange handled it incredibly well, incredibly well. I mean, it was textbook leadership from Dick and, uh, you know, there was a lot we were contending with that day. Like we were pulling people off the streets and setting up triages all around the trading floor, pulling in, you know, bloody people from the streets and, and locking down the uh the trading floor and i mean i'm not going to go into too much detail but it was you know recovering from 9 11 and getting the markets back up and running uh on september 17th was probably the one of the proudest moments of my career it's definitely the top three and and it's it's probably the proudest moment because you know we worked tirelessly the new york stock worked tirelessly to get the systems up and running when the communication systems were down all over lower Manhattan. Yep. We had the shoehorn. If you remember the New York, the American stock exchange who was a competitor at the time. Now it's owned by the New York, but you know, we had to shoehorn them into the trading floor because their trading floor was inaccessible. And so it was a lot of effort and, and you know, we were back in working uh, to get the financial markets ready uh, for operations two days after the event. And it was, it was horrible. It was it was horrible yeah. to work under those. It, well, I, yeah. my recollection as well, Paul, and you're you know these are like memories that we are not like eager to revisit, yeah. right? So, but yeah. when we do, but when we sorry when guys, we, but it was pretty remarkable, uh, you know how how you guys handled it, John. I'd yeah, like to no, hear your no, absolutely, and really across the street because at the time yeah. I was working in the bond markets for the Bond Market Association. And, uh, so that that, of course, is um, very fragmented um, and uh, equally disrupted in terms of 
just trying to sort of stitch together uh, transactions and trading records and all that kind of stuff. And just incredible the extent to which there was a cooperative effort um, sort of a, across yeah. the industry. Um, and, and for weeks on end, it really was very heartening. That's yeah, I remember I worked in the telecom industry at that point, and we were running circuits 24 hours a day for free to get clients back wow. up and running. So, you know, as as Paul and John can attest to, many of our employees now, you know, 21 years later, uh, were ver very young at that point, and they don't yeah. have the experience. So that's why it's it's kind of, I just wanted to hear it from your experience. Uh, the New York yeah. Stock Exchange, the floor, was, was very part of... Uh, New York history that day, and then obviously not not to make light and twist too quickly, too far the other way. But you know, now you go to uh, IEX September second, twenty sixteen was the first day we traded yeah. all symbols as a stock exchange, and you know, obviously different feelings to what we just talked about. But what was the day of the launch of of our exchange uh, like for you? Like walk us through it, you know. What did you do? Did you do anything yeah. different? Did you light candles? <laughs> I will tell you this: it is it dovetails nicely because let me just my last point on on September 11th and the heroic, uh, you know, mammoth you know efforts it took to recover the financial markets. You know, we as exchanges wore the the flag of the United States on our sleeve, right? I mean, we were always viewed ourselves as a national utility. Right, the role of a stock exchange under the Exchange Act of 34. And coming to IEX and being able to launch a national securities exchange under the premise that we were differentiating ourselves by designing an exchange that was principled to act under the 34 Act, whether it's upholding just and equitable principles of trade, removing impediments to a free and open market, protecting investors and in public interests, like that's what attracted me to IEX, right? Because in very much it returned the exchange to the role of what an exchange was designed to do under the 34 Act, period, right? And so that was how I felt, you know, early in my career. Um, and you know, when we launched, it wasn't just a single day of September 2nd, right? When we launched all symbols in 2016, it was the six months before then that led up to it. The industry, remember the market-wide industry calls and the PowerPoint presentations yes. and yeah. the weekend testing and the, hey, you know, because a lot of it was done on weekends and after hours with the the SIP, which the centralized, you know, the central consolidator of market data doing circuit breaker testing and you know, connectivity testing with members, uh, and then deciding what that implementation plan was going to be using test symbols, and then a couple of symbols, and then a few more, and then we went full bore on September second. So it was, it was a lot of pre work. I mean, we had an incredible team that was dedicated to working around the clock to make sure that when we launched all symbols on 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 September second, it was going to go off without a hitch. Super proud and moment. I would imagine, Again, that's one of my top three as well. Yeah, and I would imagine no matter how much testing and rehearsal you do and everything else, there's no, uh, you know, there's no substitute <laughs> for just going live once you actually go out on the stage and there's like nothing, nowhere to hide, nothing mm -hmm. to hide behind. Nowhere to hide. That's right. And that's, and you know what, look, it's, 
I made a career doing jobs that nobody else wanted to do, right? I mean, operations, we all know, is, is, is a thankless job. Nobody knows you're there 99.9% mm -hmm. of the time. So when you are needed, you better get it, you better get it fucking right. And we got it yeah. right. And uh, once and again, a caution, Paul. But yeah, so I understand the sentiment. Um, with that kind of stress, <laughs> it's, enough to, it's enough to make you lose your hair. I mean, yeah, um, yeah. Thanks, John, for that. I appreciate we're, we're on a it. podcast, yeah. John. You're yeah. calling the guy out. This is not on yeah, video. That's right. <laughs> Didn't I mention he has a fucking black belt? Yeah. <laughs> can't wait to see you in the office, John. That's great. Yeah, I can't wait for you to see John in the office. This will be epic. <laughs> Do not meet without me. <laughs> All right, John, you, you have some questions lined up. I'll, I'll let you crack in a little bit, or if you just want to sit there and make fun of our bald friend, that's not fair. <laughs> Thank you for that elegant segue, uh, Rodan. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so uh, interested in um, talking a little bit about um, your experience during the pandemic. So one of the other sure. like extraordinary things that we've all had to live um, through, uh, which obviously is an event that has very much affected the financial markets and the operation of exchanges, et cetera. Um, any thoughts about your experiences operating the exchange during the pandemic? Uh, any lessons that yeah. you learned from that? Um, did uh, were, were you surprised that it went as well as it did? And any other lessons and conclusions yeah. that you can learn from that? John, I, I think that that's a great question. I mean, um, <clears throat> my role at IEX also included in you know, a crisis management coordinator. So for years, before the, the pandemic, I was responsible for our business continuity and crisis management plans and, you know, leading our crisis management team. And, you know, having had experience in this space when I was uh, at New York, having operated through swine flu, right? We all, you know, we're old enough to remember swine flu and avian flu. I mean, you know, uh, we lost New York New Yorkers in, in, in both those cases. And we were early on COVID. You know, we, our first note to I know our our employees to be ready to work fully remote was when case counts doubled to like 900 coming out of China. Mm -hmm. And that was the limited information. If you guys remember, we had, you know, employees coming back uh, to the office from celebrating the the uh, the new year. Yeah, um, that's right. Remember that we had and we took extraordinarily cautious measures at that point. And, you know, by the time everybody was spouting 15 days to flatten the curve, we were preparing to to be out for the long haul. And so the beauty, again, of, of operating a, a fully electronic exchange is for years prior to this, we as a company practiced fully remote operations, right? And so, um, you know, again, having to then make the call, we knew that was going to be easy to have people work remotely. It was... When do we make a call to bring people back? How do we do that? Um, and we struggle. You know, with if that I, I don't want to cut you off on the on the beginning of it, but I want to yeah. give you a lot of credit on one thing because this was in fairly early February. Uh, Paul split us into groups of three, and made each group work from home. Now, remember, this was back in the day when Wall Street worked in the office five days a week, and Paul was like, he, "We sent out an email, and if you're in that group, you had to work from home. It was a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and everyone was like." Uh, for fuck's sake, the, you know, people ha have a flu in China. This is going to be fine. But what we uncovered is, as well as the exchange operated when we invariably were out of the office for literally months on end, by doing that dry run, we learned that people didn't have cameras at home. They didn't have the appropriate screens. 
they had shit internet connectivity, believe it or not, in 2022. So there was a lot of stuff that we learned early on by, I, I guess I'd say, by your diligence. Yeah. But you know what? And, and thank you for that. I appreciate that. And, and But to your credit, Ron, like you were, you know, as an executive founder, perceptive to, to you know, the advice and saying, hey, look, let's give people a stipend. Let's get people up and operating. Let's do it now. And we were shipping glass to people's homes early on, getting people, you know, uh, hot glass spots. Glass is uh, what Paul Baccio calls computer screens, just in case. Because <laughs> <laughs> I never knew what the hell it was. And he was saying, you're shipping glass. I'm like, oh, well, yeah. if you yeah. can ship some painted walls here, that'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I almost refurnished my office. Like, it was fantastic. That stipend yeah. was very yeah. generous. Yeah, there, it seemed like for months and months, they were shipping all kinds of crazy shit out to us. We would, they sent yeah. us these these friggin' peppers. We had to do a whole podcast like eating, <laughs> eating habanero peppers. You remember that shit? Yeah, they, they abused John and I, but uh, yeah. yeah. I'm glad the crowd but, got to enjoy it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, but you know yeah. what? Here's the thing. Like we – this was really interesting because you alluded to the fact that we, we do have a lot of young employees that are very technically savvy, like – and, and, you know, we, we worked in an office that even when people were in the office five, five days, like they would be using the chat tools and a lot of the, you know, virtual tools, even though they're sitting fucking three feet away from each other. So like yep. it was, you know, for me though, as, as, you know, as a guy who's, I guess, facing his 50th soon is sort of like, you know, I like that human interaction, being able to go by and, and talk to somebody and bullshit a little bit and, and. Uh, you you get a lot out of that personal you know one on one interaction. So I, I really miss that uh, early on. I I still do. Um, but you know, for us as an organization, I I couldn't be more proud the way people handled it and stepped up and 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 supported one another. Do you remember we were doing like little coffee chats and and employee yeah. like meetups, and it was everybody made the the best of it. Very proud of these the, the our folks. Well, it, it was a wacky time, right? So now, now it depends on which side you are of the argument, but people talk about, oh, don't be wearing a mask anymore, or vaccines this, or vaccines that. But remember, March and April and May of 2020, I mean, there was something like 1,200 people dying a day in New York City yeah. at one point. It, it was, it was, people didn't, it was, there was much more uncertainty than there is now with Omicron and things like that. That's right. And, and, and again, not just to uh, personalize it to IEX, but I think that there were, uh, you know, I, I think we should be proud as an industry that people um, sort of uh, held up um, and kept the markets going with as much continuity and grace as they did. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's talk about that first week, actually. So COVID and obviously, you, you know, the COVID itself aside. Right. Um, with, with the global scare of COVID, you know, the markets went pretty mental the week of, I think it was like March 16th of 2020, and we had market-wide circuit breakers kicking in, and just those are things that are designed that if the market uh, moves a certain percentage, uh, we'll shut the market, we'll reopen the market, but these had never occurred before. And, it, you know, along the lines of what John was saying, all the exchanges handled it brilliantly. There was no no exchange went down. Everybody handled it well. Yeah, it, it was the volatility was incredible, right? I mean, I remember uh, when we first came up with you know designs around market wide circuit breakers and started doing industry testing. We talked about you know because because if you guys remember, the circuit breakers used to be based off of the Dow, right? And yep. you know uh, in 2012. 
the, when they were institutionalized off of the uh, S&P 500, which made much more sense than, than, than the Dow 30. And, and a lot of effort went in since that time as an industry to do quarterly tests of the circuit breaker, the automation of that circuit breaker, and, and contending with the opening auctions. And again, it was aligned nicely with the single stock circuit breakers, the LULDs that we're all familiar with when there's single stock volatility, but this was market-wide. And, and, and you know, Reg FCI had been in effect for some period of time. You know, I, I, you may know yeah. I was uh, actually acting director at the SEC for a while when that regulation was conceived and put into effect. Jesus, how many minutes are 24 minutes into it? And this is his first plug. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not, it wasn't clear to me that all of our listeners knew this about my background, so I just wanted to fill in the gaps there. Um, anyway, um, listen. I just I just heard Boris's podcast. Very funny. It was just you guys just put it up on on the website today. And I will tell you, John, you you introduced that to uh, to our listeners last 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 podcast. But yes, <laughs> Very good. But but you you were uh, yes you were. And I, I remember mm-hmm. being on the other side of the phone uh, whenever you know because trading markets you know overseas uh, mm-hmm. exchanges and the relationship with exchanges and. And, you know, having John knows more about the industry and regulations than anybody I know. And it's, it's been, a, and I will tell you this because I'm, I'm very grateful for the people in my life at this stage of, of my career. And you've been one of those people that I've learned a lot from. So I just want to thank that, you. That's uh, very kind that. of you and very nice sentiments. It's not anything I'll ever hear from Ronan. Um, it's a, it doesn't matter. I'm fucking story. editing out the last 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can have a. Kiss, kiss, and all this, yeah. but it's gone. Well, you know what? I mean, Boris treated him so poorly, you know, and you guys were, <laughs> both of you guys ganged up that's, on him. I said, look, I have That's to why know. I left it in there. When Boris said nice stuff, I just, no, didn't, just didn't come out in the podcast. <laughs> you're, you're awful. Um, not awful. Yes. So anyway, talk to us a little bit uh, more about uh, Chief Risk Officer and what that entails and how you, um, one of the things that I'm kind of interested in that, because I think every big organization um, now has um, something that has that sort of um, functionality. And and granted, you're transitioning from that um, to uh, into the crypto space uh, now, but how do you that there there's obviously a lot of risk related policies a mm-hmm. lot of kind of uh regular uh daily and periodic checks to make sure that systems are um, identifying and keeping track of the risks what i'm curious is how do you think about um the risks that nobody has really identified because they've never blown up yet um, and uh, how, how do you get enough kind of distance to step back and think about the risks that uh, you don't know are out there because they yeah. haven't been identified? I think that that is that's a great question, right? Everybody's always looking for that next black swan event, right? That's going to either impact their business or the or markets in general. And so, you know, when I became chief risk officer in 2019, you know, uh, my background was always managing risk as a business leader, as an operations leader not in the traditional audit compliance or risk role. And so I always try to look at risk from the lens of a business owner, right? And, and so I always said, how can I help our business leaders think about, you know, uh, what's around the corner? How do you properly assess and set your strategy and plan for and communicate risks that either are affecting your department or your business? And 
you know, and, and I, and I think I was really successful at that, right? Because, but overall as an organization, you want your risk program to be designed, not to be the harbinger of things that you can't do, but rather how do you create a business that's more resilient or more opportunistic? Does that make sense, John? I mean, that was always yes. sort of the, the lens I wanted to look at um, for, for risk. And, and, and we were really successful because we have disparate businesses. It's just not the exchange uh, that's powered under the IEX group uh, umbrella. So it was a fantastic role. Um, and, and I would imagine that when you talk about kind of emerging risks, that uh, much of the focus needs to be on sharing information among members of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would imagine that among not just exchanges, alternative training systems, other large firms, um, even government agencies are constantly sharing information about emerging threats. And um, that has to be a very important part of the overall exercise, I would think. Yes, yes, and yes, for sure. And so, you know, when I was chief risk officer, you know, I had responsibility over information security, vendor management, risk management, you know, and we are part of industry groups, the FSI SAC, the financial services uh, group. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, as you know, because you sit on, on the industry committees, like we are constantly talking to exchanges and and regulators all in the same room as it comes to new rules and regulations that govern the industry. Uh, and, and even when we develop new technologies and how do we do it, right? Ron, you talked about market-wide circuit breakers and LELD. Those were industry in- initiatives, reg sci, the same thing. And so while there is competition, uh, you know, people know that we need to rely on each other. And when we're, when there were like market-wide circuit breaker halts in March of 2020, the exchanges were on a call when that happened after the halt went off and when we were going through the recovery and reopening process. So, you know, you, you can't forget that, right? You were, were, we, we work together again uh, to ensure resiliency of the U.S. financial markets. Very important. And I would imagine there's a fair amount of confidential information shared about, um, uh, you know, uh, cyber threats and that sort of thing. Do you have to have some sure. kind of a, like uh, some kind of security clearance, level of security clearance in order to get uh, like information about I, to, like free flow of some of this information? I know I don't, but no, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to find it, out if he knows secret yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, don't put him out in the part. I, What do you know, I, Paul? I, I'm reacting to this yeah, because when I for, was when, when I was <laughs> at the SEC, it stood out in my mind because when I became acting director of trading and markets, I only had like the basic level uh, security clearance. And so one of the government agency folks like called me up to say, look, because you don't have a high enough level of security clearance, I can't really tell you very much. I can just tell you that there is a threat, uh, attempted threat to breach the systems of a particular uh, exchange, but I can't tell you what it was. I can't really tell you what the threat is, but we're handling it, you know, to which I thought, holy shit, I'm like in the worst possible situation. I'm like at some level responsible for dealing with something that I can't even. uh, Yeah. 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 Anyway, little personal vignette. (laughs) Very well done. So listen, as we've talked through this, it's clear Paul's a guy who's evolved in many roles and, from a, a little teaser standpoint, obviously it's it's public that uh, IX is getting involved in digital assets, and um, Paul's going to be taking his skill set over to that side of our business because 
there's a lot of similar aspects, uh, we believe, to what will be deployed down the line in terms of some form of regulated digital asset venue, uh, technical prowess, we're going to need this thing to be up and running, much like regular stock exchanges are. Uh, you read a lot about the outages in the crypto exchange world today. That's not going to be acceptable going forward. So what better man than to have a guy whose last hat was chief risk officer, and he came from operations on the floor to now the blockchain, which I fucking leave every meeting scratching my head as to how this whole stuff works in general. But uh we're excited to have you over there, Paul. And God knows we're going to need a fall guy as much as we ever did before. So No, 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 no. It's grown up in the room. I was about to say we're, we're happy to have a grown up in the room. Was, you have clearance say, to know he's the fall guy, set up again. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I mean, that, that, that is true. I mean, look, my, my goal, and, and this was even the goal when I, when I joined IEX, always, when I, when, even throughout my whole career, how do I leave the markets in a better place than I found them? And, and, and how do I do so using great technology? And so being able to leverage what, what, what we've built, leverage our know-how, uh, it seems like a perfect fit. Uh, and for me, gets back to my core competencies, the thing that I really enjoy, which was building markets. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And hopefully in the future, we'll have uh, more uh, we, we, we can share uh, with the audience for sure. Nice. We'll have you back. So. We, we ask every guest this question, and being that you were creeping on our podcast by listening to Boris, who really kind of <laughs> cocked this question up, to be honest, but uh, we're going to ask you the question, what's your favorite Wall Street movie and why? See, I'm sure it wouldn't surprise you. My favorite Wall Street movie is, is definitely the OG Wall Street, uh, you know. Uh, Oliver Stone, 1987. You guys know I'm stuck in I'm stuck in the 80s to begin with, right? My mm -hmm. my, I'm still mm -hmm. listening to The Cure and Joy Division mm -hmm. and, and and New Order and Depeche mm -hmm. Mode. So I'm I'm stuck in the 80s. But I'd be remiss to say that you know another reason why Wall Street is my favorite movie was was a dear friend and former colleague of mine, uh, Mike Ritigliano, who uh, was an independent floor broker and then came to uh, work for. Uh, the New York Stock Exchange as a floor governor and a uh, liaison to the broker community was in the movie. He was Bud Fox's uh, floor broker. So, oh, Mike, really? uh, yeah, he he was uh, he was Bud Fox's floor broker. So what we used to do was take the uh, the the three minutes that he was on camera. You know, the different clips of of Mike representing. You know. Uh, the interest of buy Anacott Steel and, and Blue Sky Airlines in the trading crowds, and we'd mesh them all together and we'd play them on a constant loop uh, on the uh, on the trading floor. We'd always get a kick out of that when guests would come by and we'd introduce Mike. Um, so shout nice. out to Mike. Uh, and so yeah, it's a good it answer. Is. You know, it's it's funny. It's, it's probably the longest answer we've had to that question. Uh, <laughs> he says sense. that way, but like I you, you got to hear. Audience. No, it's yeah. <laughs> Jr's questions are usually longer than the answers. So like I, I think. Paul did it the right way. <laughs> but it's funny, that movie, especially in our age group, uh, seems to be, like, we, we asked this of everybody, and I think that's the clear winner. Like, a, it must be because it was the first real movie on it. Like, I mean, I guess Trading Places, which was an epic movie, was right around that time, maybe slightly before it. But, uh, yeah, I think it, it's, it's sort of like this. It's like uh, Michael Lewis talks about in his book, uh, Liar's Poker. He wrote that book to kind of, dissuade people from going into the industry like he thought it was a negative thing but it made it, it made the industry so sexy it was one of the best sales pitches to get people to go work on wall street and i think uh wall street number one i didn't really enjoy the second one but wall street number one 
was that same thing. I, 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 you know, greed is good wasn't really said in a good way, but uh, people plowed in and, and, yeah. and enjoyed it. Yeah, Every, everybody remembers those lines, right? Greed is good, blue horseshoe, everybody, you know, it's, it's definitely for our, our age group. Uh, now, I heard your favorite Wall Street movie, but I didn't get Ramsey's. And, and so, JR, what, mm, what was your mm, favorite? Mm -hmm. Wall Street movie. Well, uh, you know, I have we know to, his. He said it a few times. Uh, did I? Yeah. What did I say? Boiler room because you okay, wanted to right. be the it's SEC guy in the it's rain jacket. Boiler room because the SEC uh, guys uh, like come running in with their weapons drawn. Oh, you love that, right? Of course. Yeah. I should have yeah. known. Yeah. Ramsey just wants to tell people, freeze, we're looking at your <laughs> trades. <Yeah. laughs> well, Paul, I can't imagine you're going to get too excited about a pair of IEX socks, but we do oh. uh, offer as a uh, parting gift. I, I guess we can't we can't not give them to you because we get Yeah, just because he's an employee doesn't mean he doesn't get them. We, we always say, no one leaves here with nothing. Yeah. You're going to get yourself your very own pair of IEX oh. Boxes and Lions socks. I can't wait. That are very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Absolutely. Yeah. And we appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here. All right. Great guys. chatting. Come on, John. Absolutely. End it, John. End it. You're going to say something God nice about me now, John. bless you all and welcome yes. to the next episode of Boxes and Lines. Oh, cheers, Maisie. Boxes and Lines is a podcast from IEX Exchange. It is hosted by Ronan Ryan and John Ramsey. Executive produced by Sarah Forster with support from Benstown. For more information and to hear more episodes, go to iexexchange.io slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Boxes and Lines. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only, and IEX Group Incorporated and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversation may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group Incorporated, all rights reserved.